Hey, listening family, we have some exciting news. And we do have something exciting going on. We are going through a name change for our radio broadcast, and we're going to shift the name from Living Truth Radio to Walk in Truth. And Walk in Truth is a name that I think helps capture the heartbeat of this ministry, help people to walk out the truth, to live out the truth, to walk by faith and not by sight. So we're going to stay the same. We're going to change from Living Truth Radio to Walk in Truth. Today, Pastor Michael concludes his message entitled, Follow Me, starting in Matthew chapter 4, verse 14. Maybe experience deliverance from demonism or demonic possession and physical healing, but not be converted. The house is swept, but not occupied. So yeah, it's been cleaned out of the previous problem. So someone might say, hey, I encountered Jesus today and I'm no longer ill. Or someone might say, hey, my friend, I brought him to this synagogue service and he was delivered. But if the Holy Spirit does not come to dwell within that person, Jesus says something sobering. He says it looks clean, but in reality it's not. Back to Mark, if you would. And in fact, the worse the, uh, the latter state of that individual might be worse than the first state. Wow. It's one thing to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. It's yet another thing to be converted. And Jesus, you know, he addresses the the apostles in the upper room. He's washed their feet. And he said to them, he who's bathed needs only to wash his feet and is completely clean. And you are clean, John 13, 10. But not all of you, for he knew the one who would betray him, and that was Judas. And Judas was an actor. He was putting on a show. He had a mask on. He was the ultimate hypocritas. He was a hypocrite. And so notice what happens now. The Spirit responds. This is Mark 1.24, saying, What do what we have to do with you? Um, one scholar, William Lane, says you could have this, you have no business with us yet. Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? Notice this testimony. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You know, it is, isn't it interesting that the demons know who he is and people haven't quite figured it out? James 2.19 says, the demons believe that God is one. By the way, God is one is from Deuteronomy 6. It's the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. The demons are orthodox in their theology. The The demons believe God is one, but they have one better than most people, and they, what? Shudder. So, You track the demons that Jesus encounters throughout the Gospels and their testimony of him him is, you're the son of God, you're the holy one. They know who he is. Everybody else is going, I'm not sure who he is. I don't know. How many miracles does he have to do? After all, he did walk out of a tomb after being killed. Isn't that enough? I don't know. And so they say, is it judgment time? Have you come to destroy us? 
And Jesus, you got to love Jesus. Remember, this is all happening in the synagogue. This is great. <laughs> Jesus rebuked him and said, be quiet. <laughs> it's biblical. <laughs> I, know, I know some of you have changed those two words to shut up. <laughs> I would be very careful how you utilize those two words. But anyway, literally, this is be muzzled. You almost get the picture of the spirit trying to talk. And <laughs> Just me. Anyway, and throwing him into convulsions. I think some people said, we're going to find another synagogue after today. I, I'm a little too radical. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. I don't know all that was going on there. I'd like film footage. But some weird convulsions are happening. The, I don't know if he's foaming at the mouth. There's other places that that happens. And somehow the spirit comes out. Now, can you imagine if you're a person there? Sitting there, there's nobody sleeping. Whoa. Talk about authority. Do you know, the Sabbath, its essence, Shabbat, means rest. Think about it. Jesus has come into the synagogue on Shabbat. If you look at the Hebrew picture language, the, the word Sabbath actually means to return to the covenant. Here's a man who's been dominated. In fact, when we see demon possession cases and we track them in scripture, one of the goals seems to be to disfigure an individual to the degree that the image of God in them is ruined. That seems to be the goal. It seems to be part of the, if you will, the mockery of the kingdom of darkness. And so here's the Sabbath day. And I'm sure Sabbath has the idea of both resting, worshiping. You could call the Sabbath a time of rest and reflection. And I'm sure a lot of people went home and reflected that day. What does this mean? They were all amazed. Look at verse 27. They were all amazed so that they debated among themselves. And they said, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Do you remember when he's on the sea later in Mark 4? He's sleeping on the cushion, and it gets, it gets difficult out there, and they say, Lord, they wake him up, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? And Jesus says to the ocean or to the sea, be quiet, and it obeys him. And the apostles go, who then is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And a statement is being made in the gospel, and you got to see it. Jesus is showing his identity by his dominance or authority over everything, over the kingdom of darkness, the demonic realm. He'll, have, he'll show his authority over death, as we'll see in the gospel. He shows his authority over disease. He shows his authority over every realm of life. And if you're one of those fishermen in the early days of ministry, you have to be saying, Wow. I don't think they could have fully fathomed who he was and what exactly was going to happen next. So notice what happens. Verse 28. Immediately the news about him went out everywhere 
into all the surrounding district of Galilee, and you could imagine why. And immediately after they had come out uh, of the synagogue, or as soon as they left NIV, they came into the house of Simon. Now, I showed you some uh, ruins of what they believe is Simon's house, the house of Simon and Andrew. They were brothers. James and John were there, and so that's the early fishermen, and they were partners in the fishing business. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to him about her. Now, when you got done with your Sabbath or Shabbat services, you had a meal at about noon, and typically the women would prepare that meal. So it's likely that uh, Simon's mother-in-law was supposed to be cooking the Shabbat meal, but she And I don't know if they left her this way or if she was starting to not feel well and then it got worse, but she had a fever, which could be very deadly, especially in that day. She was lying sick with a fever and immediately they spoke to him about her. Now, uh, you know, if you got a family member that's sick and you've been hanging around uh, the Messiah for a a few weeks or whatever it's been, you you gotta start thinking, hey, uh, it'd be nice if we could eat. Why don't we just tell Jesus? Sorry, that's the wrong motive. But anyway, (laughs) no, the truth is I feel really bad that my mother-in-law is sick. Let's tell Jesus. And so they did. They shared, they made requests on her behalf, says Luke 4.38. It's a beautiful picture of intercession, by the way. When someone else is hurting, we go to Jesus and we say, Lord, we need your help on this one. Do you please touch my family member? Wonderful picture of intercessory prayer. They spoke to him about her, and he came to her. This is the beauty of the master's touch. And he raised her up, taking her by the hand. And the fever left her, almost like the spirit leaving the demon-possessed man. And she waited on them. This is the beauty of the master's touch. Luke 4.39 in a parallel account says, Standing over her, he rebuked the fever And it left her, and she immediately arose and waited on them. Just like he rebuked the evil spirit, he rebukes even fevers, and they go. And his condescension, here's the picture. She's on a bed. He looks down at her. He reaches out a hand, and he rebukes the sickness and raises her up, and that's a picture of the incarnation. It's a picture of the gospel. This is what he does. He sees us in this position of being uh, dead in our sins and trespasses and he speaks the word over us and he raises us up to new life and once he does, you can't help but serve him and that's what Peter's mother-in-law did. She was touched by him and uh, maybe, you know, uh, for the rest of the meal as they serve different portions of the meal, maybe she kept saying, feel my forehead, feel my forehead. I was red hot, and then he came in, and he reached down. It wasn't, yeah, yeah, mom, mom, yeah, we know. No, no, go feel it. Feel it again. Go ahead. Now, how many of you have a mother, when you were growing up, if there was any sign of a fever, you got the treatment? My mother did the kiss test. She'd put her lips to my forehead. That was better than any thermometer or anything like that. Let me, let me see. Come over here. Ma, ma, come over here. Give it the lip test. I don't know, you, you're a little warm. When I was going up, I'd say, yeah, I don't feel good. I, yeah, I probably should stay home. <laughs> what a lunch that must have been. Feel my forehead. I think people in Simon's house probably 
We're saying after feeling her forehead, that's cool. Do you know that's where that phrase came from? That's cool. But you don't believe that? (laughs) And when evening had come, 32. Boy, that was a weak attempt at humor, wasn't it? I was writing that in my notes the other night, and I started laughing, so I thought maybe you would laugh. Anyway. (laughs) Hey, folks, this is Pastor Michael Lance, and this is Living Truth Radio, and we'll be back to the teaching in a moment. I want to tell you about a special offer that we have available at Living Truth Radio. It's a book that I've written called Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. It's all about spiritual warfare. It's all about how to overcome temptation, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it's a special offer. Go to our website, livingtruthradio.org. Click on the donate button. And for any donation, we will send you a copy of that book. Just let us know in the contact form that you'd like a copy of that book. And now, back to the teaching. And when the evening had come after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill. The sun setting would be the end of Shabbat, and I think people maybe felt more free to move, obviously with the restrictions on the Sabbath. So notice it says, they were bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. So there was more of them. And the whole city had gathered at the door. Now, if it's your house, I'm sure there's some family discussion going on. <laughs> Sheesh. Everybody in the town's at the front door. And here they are, all these broken people pushing at the door of Simon's house. And Simon's going to begin to get a picture of what ministry is about. All these broken people in the world. Are they trying to get in those doors? Do we show enough of the truth of the gospel that they might say, you know what, there's life to be found. Something's happening in that church or this church. I sure pray that that's the case. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. And the light of the world on a Capernaum night, shone his light. And person after person after person was being set free from illness and demonic possession. Man, can you imagine if you were there? I mean, one healing would have been enough to celebrate. The, the experience at the synagogue and Peter's mother-in-law would have been enough to say, this has been a good day. This has been an insightful day. But person after person, and I'm sure that the fishermen were just probably watching and going, wow, he is extending his hand to all these broken people and making, giving them a wholeness. What a day. And in the early morning, we're going to just go up to verse 39 this morning. And in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus arose and went out and departed to a lonely place and was praying there. I wonder, what do you think he prayed about? You know, after that night, that long night of activity, you would have thought, well, maybe he would have slept in. (laughs) But no, he's up early. He goes out to what some scholars consider like a wilderness place, a lonely place, tying back to the wilderness tradition, because that's his mission, to go and, and deal with the biggest problem man has, which is sin, 
and he's praying. He told Peter later in the Gospel of Luke, even though the devil had been asking for Peter by name, that he had prayed for him. Was he praying for Peter? Was he saying, Father, Peter has seen a lot just in this day. Keep him on track. Because I know the enemy is after these fishermen. Was he saying, communing in such a way with his father that he was getting direction on the next place? I don't know how to break it all down, but Simon and his companions, 36, hunted for him. And they found him and they said to him, everyone's looking for you. I'm sure it was probably like another big line at the door of Peter's house and they said, we got to get out of here. Is there a back door to this place? Yeah. Let's go find him. Where is he? I don't know. Where is he? I don't know. He got up early and they hunted for him. Idea. They looked everywhere for him and finally they find him praying. What a lesson. You see, Jesus is trying to teach something even there. Great night of ministry. We could rest on our laurels the next day. Wow, that was great. Yeah, wasn't that great? Pass the coffee. Yeah, that's great. Jesus praying. You see, oftentimes when God does big things in our lives, we can become very vulnerable. We don't realize this. Oftentimes when we've been used by God and something good and positive has happened, we become a target for the enemy and Jesus will have none of it. And so he goes and he prays. And there's a lesson for up-and-coming fishermen of men. And they had to be thinking, Lord, this is great. and Let's just set up shop. Let's print some business cards. And he said to them, 38, let us go somewhere else, to the towns nearby in order that I may preach there also. Mark this, for that is what I came out for. I mean, if you're one of the apostles, you have to be saying, Lord, are you sure? Do you not remember what happened last night? <laughs> the whole town wants you. Uh, just newsflash, Lord, you weren't too popular in Nazareth. Things are going well in Capernaum. I was a little scared. I was wondering whether I could stick it out after they almost threw you off the brow of the hill in your hometown. Now, everybody loves you. We're printing posters. Come on, Lord, you can't be serious. Yeah, let's go to the other towns. He doesn't say, I have more healing to do. He says, I have what? I've got to go teach. You see, healing, and this is very important, healing by virtue of what it is, is only temporal, temporary. I know because we're all human, and when we have a besetting sickness or someone that we love that's sick, we so deeply desire their physical healing. Because when you're not well, you know, life is hard. And we pray for healing, and we pray, Lord, would you touch that person? And prayer requests stream onto the prayer chain, and, and look, we have a heart of compassion, and so does Jesus, but his main mission was not to bring temporal healing to people. His main mission was to heal the soul. He was wounded for our transgressions, and he is one who heals the soul. And so he says, this is why I came. I was sent for this purpose. I must preach to the other cities. And so he moved on. And I want to show you, as we wind this message down, one more cross-reference, Matthew 11. And I was 
doing some final preparation yesterday, and I started asking this question. I started saying, Lord, what happened to Capernaum? I mean, I know you can visit what is the, they believe is the historical site today, but what happened to this place? How many people were changed? For how many people was it an eternal decision of salvation and not just a temporal deliverance with looking clean but not being saved, if you will? In Matthew eleven twenty, here's what I came across. It says, then Jesus, Matthew eleven twenty, began to reproach the cities in which most of his miracles were done. Do you know on that Capernaum night, Jesus touched so many people that he probably did more miracles on that night in Capernaum than, he did, than was done in the entire Old Testament. Just on one night. Person after person was coming. And he began to reproach the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they what? Matthew eleven twenty. they did not what? You know, Jesus comes out and he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he says, woe to you, Chorazin, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And then I came across this. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You shall descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you, that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. And I was reading my Bible, and I was on a cloud. This sometimes happens to me in Bible study. I was thinking of that that event in Capernaum and the synagogue and Peter's house and his mother-in-law and all these people experiencing physical healing and deliverance from demonic possession and praising God. And I was ready to close my study and say, awesome. And then I came across this verse and I went, oh no. It would seem that in Capernaum, although I'm sure that some people were genuinely converted, that people came to Jesus for deliverance from disease, to get a family member who was a trouble to everybody around, a touch. And yet, apparently, not even apparently, as a whole, according to Jesus' words, they largely did not repent. And I have in my notes these words. Capernaum was the base of operation for Jesus' ministry. He was called his own city. What if Jesus added these words? And you, Corona, and you, Riverside County, and you, Orange County, if the churches and Bible teaching and opportunities for spiritual life in you were available in Sudan or China, they would have fill in the blank. You see, I, as a human being, love when I can just sit in a chair and observe and I don't have to deal with any of my own stuff. It's convenient. But then I look at this and say, if Jesus were in this city and he looked at our privileges and experiences, what would he say? Now, the Lord is gracious. 
And verse 39 in Mark 1, as we conclude, says, And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee. So he didn't stop doing what he was doing, preaching and casting out the demons. And he stood before Pilate. And Pilate has that famous exchange to him with him and says, What is truth? And truth was standing in front of him. Jesus said, for this reason I've been born, for this reason I came into the world, that I might bear witness of the truth. Everyone who's of the truth, what? Here's my voice. How many truly heard that day? How many were transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, from the kingdom of lies to the kingdom of truth? Have you heard his voice? Has he touched your soul? Have you been converted? If you have, praise God. God is good and he's gracious. But he has something more for us than for us just to come to the master's table for what he might give us. And then when he doesn't come through for us, we bail. Now he's saying, look, come into the kingdom and I'll show you what life is about. Peter was told by Jesus that Satan had been demanding permission to sift him as wheat. And then Jesus says that I've prayed for you. We know that Satan was able to get to Job in the book of Job and do some uh, devastating damage to him and his family. So if you think about it, if you work back from the end game of seeking someone to devour, if you know that that's what Satan wants to do through deception and you know what looks maybe exhilarating, looks like you might have power, looks like you might have some level of control and excitement in this dark spiritual world. And then all of a sudden you tap into it and you find that it is truly dark. Uh, that's what you don't want to do. So so that's, that's what we would warn against. And we would just say, just don't open that door. In fact, the door you should be opening is to the Holy Spirit, is to Jesus Christ. Call upon him, get saved, come to know the light because there's a kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. That's, that's how I would respond to that. Now, I blame Hollywood uh, theology is what I call it. It's always incorrect. When you see these movies of evil entities and such, um, these entities are fearful of going into a church. But here you have a demon-possessed man to where Jesus is teaching in a synagogue. It seems like there is no boundaries to where these things try to go into and influence and make man fearful. It, that's true, Oscar, and some of this would be mysterious. And you know, we've I've heard some people talk about, you know, the power of a cross in some of these situations, or maybe even anointing with oil, and and that may be. But ultimately, we're talking about a spiritual situation. So, you know, when you, when we read the Book of Mark, we run into a lot of demonic possession, and we're we're like, wow, this seems so far out. And maybe it's more normative in other places where the occult and witchcraft is more prevalent, um, but it can happen anywhere. And the goal seems to be to get into an individual's life, uh, gain more control over that individual. Ultimately, I've, I've read some theologians say to destroy the very Imago Dei, to destroy the image of God in that individual, to so mess up their life. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.